service just got about 17 years older, right? One instance. Okay. We're going to be in Romans chapter 11 this morning. Romans 11. Continuing our study here through the book of Romans, if you haven't been with us here for the last few weeks. Real quick recap. Chapters 1 through 8 of the book of Romans deal with this idea of salvation and what is the gospel and what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to spread the gospel? Chapters 9, 10, and 11 are a little bit of a break where it uses the example of Israel, of Israel hearing the gospel, rejecting the gospel, and then we've been applying that to us, for us personally. What's it mean for us to hear the truth of the gospel and either not accept it or to go out and tell other people about it? And from chapters 12 on, it's really application to everything that we've talked about. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 11 here this morning, and let's do the smart thing and have a quick word of prayer, and we'll continue on. Heavenly Father, who has come to you now, thank you for this wonderful Sunday morning just to see so many different attributes of just the youth get up there and to be blessed by that. And we say thank you. And Lord, we just want to pray for your hand be upon the message. As always, Lord, you teach and we'll listen to your spirit. Just pray you go before all things. And we say thank you. And ask for your blessing upon all the Sunday school classrooms in the back that you would be with all things. In your name, amen. And we left off last week in verse 6, Romans 11. So we're going to pick it up here in verse 7. I'm going to read a few verses. We're going to talk a little bit of background here. Verse 7 of Romans 11 says, What then? Israel have not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they do not see and bow down their back. Key word there, verse 8. Excuse me, verse 7, the idea they're being blinded. Blinded, they didn't see. It's always a spiritual frustration, isn't it? You get a chance to present the gospel to somebody, you tell somebody about the Lord, and they just don't even see it. They don't see what God can do. They don't see what the Lord's doing and what, how he's moving and how he's working. And even to go one step further, look at verse 8. They have a spirit, a stupor, just that dullness. A dullness in their life with Christ, a dullness of maybe just in their marriage, a dullness in their relationship with others. They have ears, but they're not hearing. They have eyes, and they're not seeing. And what has happened is there's this deep spiritual blindness that's going on, this spirit of stupor, this spirit of dullness that is there. There's this whole spiritual side of stuff we don't see, we don't get. Because generally speaking, we don't get into the deep spiritual stuff, do we? We're a very um, surface group of people. You walk into somebody and you say, hey, how you doing? Well, what's the response? I'm doing good. Doing good. Are you really doing good? A lot of times we're not. We just say we're doing good. Or, hey, how's everything going with the Lord? Hey, God is moving and working in my life. Praise Jesus. Because that's what we do. We're Christians. We can't have bad days. I mean, we can't come out and say, honestly, you know what? I've really been praying about a lot of things, and I just don't see the Lord moving and working. I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling right now. I crack the Bible open, and I read the words, and I get nothing out of it. I come to church, I get nothing out of it. I pray, I get nothing out of it. I'm really in a dull spiritual moment right now. If you would be honest with somebody like that, they would say, oh, well, I'll pray for you, and then they'd probably walk away. We don't know what to say to that. But the truth of the matter is there's times where we have co-workers, we have loved ones, we have spouses, we have kids that are spiritually blind. They don't get it. We have times in our Christian walk where we have a spirit of stupor, where we're just dull spiritually. There's times where we're sharing the gospel with somebody and they're hearing it, but not responding to it. That's one of the toughest things. I've shared this example with you numerous times. People come to me with a problem. And as they come to me with the problem, we sit down, we talk about it, and they say, I don't know what to do. And I say, what's wrong? So they tell me what's wrong. And I usually say, what do you think you should do? Nine times out of ten, times out of ten, they know what to do. They know it. Or if I tell them, hey, well, have you ever tried this? They're like, yeah, I knew that. I knew that's what you were going to say. We have ears, we hear. We have eyes, we see. But we're really not listening and we're really not looking to see what the Lord is doing. And it's that blindness, that dullness, that spirit of stupor and dullness that comes on us. It's this whole spiritual side that we don't see. Why is it that when we present Jesus to somebody... Do they not get it? Why is it when someone gives a message, do we not hear the words? Why is it when we pray and we seek the Lord that sometimes it feels like there's no response? Well, let's get into the spiritual side of things here for a little bit because this is something we normally don't hit on. 
Turn if you will to 2 Kings 6. There's two Old Testament examples I want to use about this. 2 Kings chapter 6, please. Because I think it's important for us to see sometimes the behind the scenes that's going on. 2 Kings chapter 6. There's a spiritual side of things that we don't even see or realize sometimes. In 2 Kings 6, as you're turning there, here's the basic background. The Assyrians are wanting to take out Israel. Well, the Assyrians keep trying and trying and trying, and it's not working. Well, why isn't it working? 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. It says, Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. And the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Who's the traitor? Verse 12. And none of his servants, and one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. That's kind of creepy, actually, don't you think? Here's this king of Syria. He wants to take out Israel. So he keeps making these battle plans. So the Lord is revealing to Elisha what the battle plans are. So Elisha then goes to tell the king of Israel, saying, Hey, don't go there. That's where it's going to be. It's going to be a trap to stay out of there. So the king of Syria keeps getting his plans thwarted again and again and again. The king of Syria says, there's got to be a traitor. How else would they know? And so they come and say, no. This man Elisha, the Lord, speaks to him, and he knows what's going on. So what does he want to do? Verse 13. So he said, go and see where he is, and that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots, and his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Now stop, don't read ahead. Because how many times have we been in that position of the servant? You wake up one day and you're completely surrounded. The entire army of the Syrians have surrounded you. You're surrounded with fear, with worry, with anxiety. You're surrounded with problems at work, problems at home, problems at school. You're surrounded with relationship problems, marriage problems, debt problems, job problems. You are completely surrounded in your life with everything. You feel you are encircled by the enemy. And what do you do? You do what verse 15 says. What shall we do? This is not a cry for help. This is a cry of despair. What am I going to do? My marriage is falling apart. My kids are falling apart. My job's falling apart. My health is falling apart. Everything is completely falling apart around me. I'm completely surrounded. So what do we do? We go to somebody spiritual. We go to the pastor or friend, and we tell them what's going on. So they do a verse 16. So he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now stop right there. Don't read ahead. That's what our response usually is. You come to me with a problem, what do I say? I'll pray for you. I don't say it lightly. I really do mean it. I'll pray for you. I'll give you some scripture, some encouragement. Because why I'm trying to remind you, verse 16, that God that is with you is greater than anything that you're facing. Now, we know that's truth. We know it. But it goes back to Romans 11. My ears hear it, but I really don't hear that. My eyes see it, but I really don't see it. And I hear these words, and I get off the phone with somebody, or I read that email, that text, and I say, yeah, that's right. But it's what I call one of those little Christianese statements. Don't worry, God's with you. It's full of truth, but does it really do anything? Well, see, now we get the behind the scenes. Look at verse 17. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha says, that's why you don't worry. There's an unseen spiritual force that is always around us watching out for us. Now, before you misunderstand the point of this message, the point of this message is not that unseen world of God that's moving and working. The point of this message is that there are things going on that we don't see and we don't know. So therefore, when I look at verse 16 and I have somebody tell me, don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than with them, I hear that and I just don't say, yeah, right. 
Look, where are they at? But we get an example in 2 Kings, that's where they're at. But why doesn't God do that all the time? Why is it when I'm feeling alone and troubled and scared and I know that people say, don't be afraid because God's with me, why doesn't he just show himself? You know why he doesn't show himself? He already showed himself back in 2 Kings 6. Why does he have to do it again? Well, he showed it to Elijah and the servant, not to me. That's not good enough? Jesus has to die for every generation to visibly see him? No. He said, I did it once. I revealed to everybody one time that there's this unseen thing that when I say I am with you, I am with you, you don't have to doubt it. And the truth of the matter is, if he had to reveal it every time, we're not walking by faith then, we're walking by sight. God says you walk by faith, not by sight. Even though I don't see this, I trust when God says I'm with you and I'll never leave you nor forsake you, I trust that he really does mean it. Why? Why? Because in 2 Kings 6, he revealed it to Elisha and his servant. So the next time you feel overwhelmed and you feel surrounded by the Syrians, God's with you. How do we know he's with you? Because he just proved it in 2 Kings 6. Let's do another example. Go to the book of Daniel, please. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. Here in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel's overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with life. Once again, I think we can relate to that. Some of you came in here today and you were overwhelmed with life. It was a struggle just to get here. There's burdens and baggage all over the place and we don't know how much more we can handle. And if not you, you know somebody right now that's going through something so difficult. How can they, what can I do? Well, how can I encourage them? Well, let's see what the Lord did here for Daniel. See, Daniel, was re this vision was revealed to him. Well, Daniel 10 verse 8 says, Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision and no, one's strength, and no strength remained in me for my vigor was turned to frailty in me and I retained no strength. How many of us can relate to verse 8 right now? We feel totally left alone. There's no one there. I mean, yeah, they're there, but what I'm going through, I'm going through all by myself. I'm totally left alone, verse 8. I have no strength remaining in me. My vigor has turned to frailty. I'm frail. I'm frail spiritually. I'm frail emotionally. I'm frail weakly. Excuse me, physically. I have no strength and I'm all alone. Can we not relate to that? Verse 9, yet I heard the sound of his words. While I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face and put my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, oh Daniel, man greatly beloved. Stop right there. You realize how much God loves us? That one song they sang today. Oh, how he loves us. Greatly beloved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. And he said to me, do not fear, Daniel. From the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Verse 12, as soon as you pray, God already knows what you're saying. He hears every prayer that you pray. Is that not reassuring? Is that not reassuring that when you pray and you are alone, your strength is failing, you feel frail, and you cry out to God? Isn't it a reassuring thing that that passage right there just tells us? As soon as we pray, God hears those words. Now, if you're like me, I hear that, and I say, that's great. Your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Okay, that's great. But I've been praying about stuff for days, weeks, months, years, and I'm not getting an answer. Well, let's look now behind the scenes. Verse 14, excuse me, verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief priests, priest, princes, came to me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. What? Verse 14, now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. Okay, let me just understand verse 13 here real quick. I pray, and as Daniel's praying, I should say, God hears his prayers. So God then dispatches an angel to go give this answer to Daniel. But the way on giving the answer to Daniel, this angel runs into this demonic force, the kingdom of Persia, the prince there, and they're having this little spiritual battle going on. And so this angel needs backup, so he goes and gets Michael. So Michael comes, and they fight through this to come give the answer to Daniel. Yeah, that's exactly what it says right there. That's a behind the scene that we really don't see too much, do we? Now, 
The point of the message, once again, is not that. The point of the message is, when you pray, the Lord hears and he answers. Well, why doesn't he answer right away? Because there's sometimes things going on behind the scenes that you don't realize, you don't understand. Is this something where God's not strong enough? I mean, this is God. I mean, he's God. This little demonic prince of Persia type thing, two angels at the battle through, why can't God just give the answer like that? He can. Well, then why doesn't he? Because he just explained to us in Daniel 10 why he doesn't have to, because we walk by faith, not by sight. We already know that as soon as I pray, he hears. Well, it doesn't feel like it. I wish I had this right now where this person would come and answer. Then you're walking by faith, not by faith. Daniel 10 reveals to us that when we do pray, the Lord does answer, the Lord does hear. Sometimes it does take a few days, a few weeks, a few months, a few years. This is why it's so important. The book into this verse is Matthew 7, verse 7. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Because you know your words are not falling on deaf ears. They are being heard, and God is answering. We may be in this verse 8 place right now. Alone, no strength, and very frail. That may be where you're at right now. And you may be crying out to the Lord, and then you have to trust and remember. Once again, once look one more time here. Verse 12. For the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. Amen. Even though it doesn't seem like it and feel like it right now that your prayers are being heard, they are. Because we see the behind the scenes now of what's going on. And that's why we keep asking, we keep knocking, we keep seeking. Because there's this deeper thing that's going on. What an amazing thing that is to know. So now, going back to Romans 11, when we see these passages like, their eyes were blinded, spirit of stupor that's all over them, and they have ears but they don't hear, they have eyes but they don't see. We now see sometimes behind the scene what's going on. And I hope that encourages us. Right now you're either surrounded by the Syrians, and the Lord says, remember 2 Kings 6, your eyes may be open to see that everything that's going on. Right now you may be like Daniel, you're alone, you have no strength, your prayers don't feel like they're being answered. God says, your prayers are being heard, and the answer is coming. Well, why doesn't the answer come a little quicker? Why doesn't he reveal to me what he's doing? Why? Easy to say that we walk by faith, not by sight, but we still struggle with this, don't we? Go to one more example of this in the Old Testament. Can you go to the book of Habakkuk, please? Or you can call him Habakkuk, whatever you like. Went to school with him. He doesn't mind either way, Habakkuk or Habakkuk. Right now, some of you are thinking, is that book even in the Bible? Yes, it is. If it helps, it's on page 823 in my Bible. I told the first service, I want you to find this book without looking in the front. They just totally ignored me. Um, Habakkuk or Habakkuk? That's where we're going to be. Now, the reason I like this guy, this guy doesn't get enough credit. It's a short little book. It's only three chapters long. It's one of the most honest books in the entire Bible. This guy is honest about his struggles. We've talked about the servant that's surrounded by the army and saying, what am I going to do? We've talked about Daniel that's alone and weak and frail and the prayers aren't being answered. Well, look here at Habakkuk. Look right here in verse 2, chapter 1. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Boy, can we not relate to that? Lord, how long? I am crying out and you are not listening. The only thing I see, verse 3, is I see trouble, I see violence, I see strife, I see contention. Verse 4, the law is powerless. God's not doing anything. There's no justice, there's only wickedness, there's only perversity. Now, we don't mention this publicly because, once again, praise Jesus. Truth of the matter is we go through these moments. We all do. And we all have these moments of I'm crying out, verse 2, and you're not listening. Now, for anybody that has kids, you know that you can understand the different cries. Each cry means something differently. And if you've called me recently at home and I've answered the phone, you know that sometimes it sounds like there's a zoo or a war going on behind me. And as soon as I answer the phone, my whole thing is just try to get to the quietest room I can find. I don't care what room it is. I'm just trying to get to a room so I can talk to you. I had somebody call recently and there was this cry in the background 
And they said, do I need to let you go so you can take care of that? And I knew the cry. I said, no, that's not what I need to go to. Because you know the cry. Just like at night, you know the cries. I know when Layden cries at night. I know whether it's just the cry where he woke up, he's a little half awake, half asleep, and he's just looking for his blanket. As soon as he finds his blanket, he's going to lay back down. I don't have to jump to go get that cry. I know the cry when he's sitting up in bed and something is wrong. And that's the cry I need to go in and say, hey, I'm here. I know the cry when I'm in the kitchen and i got to run fast to wherever that cry is at. I also know the cry if I can ignore it for a good five, ten minutes maybe, and they'll figure it out themselves. So the point is, when I hear verse 2, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? God sometimes says, okay, James, you're just whining. Oh, now I know that cry. That's a cry I need to respond to. We have these moments of, Lord, you're not moving, you're not working, you're not doing anything, and my world is falling apart. I'm alone, I'm frail, I'm weak, the Syrians are around me. Do something. So Habakkuk here for chapter 1, basically it's, Lord, do something. Why aren't you moving? Why aren't you working? So how does he finish it up? Go to chapter 2, look at verse 1. This is what he comes to the conclusion of. He, he basically vents for about a chapter. He comes to this conclusion in verse 1 of chapter 2. I will stand my watch, set myself on the rampart, and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. Habakkuk now says, I have let go of this. I've given it over to the Lord. Now I sit back and wait to see what he's going to do. How in the world can he do that? The only way he can do that is jump down to the end of verse 4. The just shall live by faith. Did anything change in chapter 1? But in faith, Habakkuk says, I'm going to sit and wait. And look what else he says. Look at the end of verse 1 of chapter 2 again. And what I will answer when I am corrected. Habakkuk says, I realize that when my faith gets off the Lord, I need to be corrected in that area. It's not that God needs to move. It's not that God needs to do something. It's not that God is weak and failing and he's not moving quick enough. It's, Lord, I need to trust you more. Now, it's easy for Habakkuk, right? Because the Lord answered him. Why doesn't God answer me? He doesn't have to answer me. That's why we have Habakkuk. So we can learn from Elisha's servant. We can learn from Daniel. We can learn from Habakkuk what the Lord does. How does this book end up? Jump ahead to chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the yield 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 no fruit, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there will be herd in the, no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. I don't know what your verse 17 is. What's your verse 17? Though I may not get that job, though my kids may not be as spiritually strong as I want, though my wife may never be the woman I want her to be, though my husband may never be the husband I want him to be, though I may never have the co-workers I want, though I may never have the ministry that I wanted to have, Though I may never have the life that I asked for or wanted, though I may never have the health that I've been praying for, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation. Habakkuk says, even though I don't see the big picture, even though I may not agree with the big picture, in faith I trust you. Elisha's servant says, what am I going to do? And he sees the Lord moving. Daniel says, I'm alone. I have no strength. I'm weak. And that's when God shows up and answers prayer. See, what we have here in Romans 11 is we are just shown words like blinded and spirit of stupor and eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear. And we sit here and we say, what is going on? But in 2 Kings 6 and in Daniel 10 and Habakkuk, we get a behind-the-scenes view of what is going on. And we know the Lord is moving and working and doing things even when we don't see it. So the next time you call me up, the next time I call you up, and we have those moments of what am I going to do? Things aren't changing. Nothing's happening. I'm going to tell you the Lord is moving even though we don't see it. I'm going to tell you that when you give those prayers over to the Lord, He hears those prayers as soon as you pray them, and He's working right from then. That's what the Lord's doing. It may not be as quick as what we want. It may not be as fast as what we want. And to be quite honest with you, it may not be the answer that we want. In faith, 
we trust and faith, we believe that the Lord is moving and working once again, even though we don't see it. And that's what Paul had to believe here too when he came to Israel. His heart broke for Israel. Right now, your heart's breaking for something. Maybe it's for a child. Maybe it's for your marriage. Maybe it's for a job situation. Maybe it's for a co-worker. Maybe it's for your health. Maybe it's for your emotional state. I don't know. You're hurting somehow, some way. And you need to trust and believe that even though we don't see it, we know that the Lord is working. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, God has given us these little Old Testament pictures to show us that I'm still doing it. But it all comes down to we walk by faith, not by sight. Next time you share with somebody and they don't get it, don't walk away dejected. The Lord's still moving and working. The next time you pray and you say, this is the job for me, you don't get it. Don't walk away dejected. The Lord's still moving and working. The next time you come home and you say, no matter how he or she acts or responds, I'm going to be the bigger believer here, and I'm going to plant seeds, I'm going to invest into my marriage love. You come home, and it is horrible. doesn't mean God's not moving and working. We have to trust even though we don't see the unseen that we trust that the Lord is. Youth, want to come forward here for the final song.